Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. This episode is brought to you by Luminous. For over 50 years, Luminous has developed innovative gold standard devices for eye care, like the first SLT laser, the first argon laser photocoagulator, and the revolutionary dual path SLT and YAG laser. Luminous, the inventor of intense pulse light, or IPL, is proud to announce the first and only IPL system to receive FDA approval for management of dry eye disease and to launch OptiLight, a bright solution for dry eyes. OptiLite uses Luminous's patented optimal pulse technology to allow consistent, precise, and controlled treatment. If your patients suffer from dry, gritty, tired eyes, and dry eye disease due to meibomian gland dysfunction that is impacting their quality of life and their vision, OptiLite puts the power for treating dry eye disease in the palm of your hand. OptiLite breaks the dry vicious cycle of inflammation and delivers improvement in tear breakup time and other clinical signs of dry eye disease. To learn how you can elevate dry eye management with OptiLite, visit Luminous.com slash OptiLite. Hi, guys. Welcome to this week's episode of Vision is More Than 2020. We are going to be joined by our guest, Dr. Simonson, later. But first, Dr. Z and I want to talk about our weekly insight, and we want to highlight the company Highlight. I know that I grew up getting this magazine subscription at my house, and I always just loved receiving it in the mail, reading the stories, doing the puzzles, and a little light bulb went off a couple weeks ago to look into getting it for Teddy. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe a little advanced for him. So I hopped on their website and they have really expanded um, the program they have to be very in- encompassing of all age ranges. Um, so I found one called High Five for Teddy that's for two to five year olds. And he just got his first magazine in the mail yesterday and absolutely loved it. I mean, some of the content's a little advanced because he's he's almost two, but he really surprised me with even some of the hidden pictures that are in there, being able to start to match pictures. Um, so I just thought it was a really great thing to <laughs> highlight um, <laughs> because it can be such a great educational tool for kids. And it's always fun and exciting to get something in the mail. I feel like no one really sends anything in the mail anymore. So it's like a fun thing to make you check the mailbox. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, I have a distinct memory of the Highlights Magazine being at the dentist. And I always loved it, going to dentist to like play the Highlights magazine there. And I think it's also important to note that Highlights really grows with the child. I was just at my sister's house this past weekend and I have, uh, she has four kids. They're nine, seven, five, and three. But the older kids also get the Highlights magazine. So the activities grow with the the child and they're more challenging. And my oldest nephew, John was like, Oh mom, the highlights magazine came in and he was super excited about it. So I think it's a wonderful gift to give someone in your life. Also, you know, as a parent, you can purchase it, but also maybe say, Hey, can someone get me this subscription for a holiday versus like another plastic toy, right? This is something that they can use continuously throughout the year. And like you said, it comes every month. And how special is that? So I definitely recommend this for sure. Absolutely. Also, there is an online platform for highlights as well that we utilize in the office all the time. So you can, I'm sure they have an app. I'm not sure if they have an app, but I know that you can visit visit highlights.com and there's a lot of activities to do online as well. And a lot of them are so visually based, a lot of figure ground and puzzle work. Um, So they really help develop great visual skills. 
So for on today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to evaluate preschool and developmentally delayed patients. And to do so, we are going to be joined by Dr. Jennifer Simonson. She is a graduate of the Ohio State University College of Optometry and a fellow of the College of Optometrists and Vision Development. She is a member of the Colorado and American Optometric Associations and the Optometric Extension Program Foundation. Dr. Simonson was the recipient of the 2007 Colorado Young Optometrist of the Year. She is active on the International Examination and Certification Board, the Colorado Vision Training Conference Planning Committee, and enjoys public speaking. Her primary interests in practice include pediatric vision care, vision therapy, sports therapy, and vision rehabilitation. Dr. Simonson is a co-founder of G-Labs that developed the Opto app and Stereoscope for iPad in 2014. She is also the author of several children's books about vision therapy, including My Perfect Vision, My Double Vision, My Jumbled Vision, and My Mismatched Vision. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Simonson. We are so excited to have you join us this morning. And to get started, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background of how you became interested in being an optometrist. So in college, I had a physics lab partner that got into optometry school. And so she actually told me that I should take her job that she was leaving in an optometry practice. Um, It was called Professional Vision Care in Westerville, Ohio. And as part of that, they had me do an eye exam um, and I hadn't had an eye exam for a while and my prescription had increased more and more nearsighted over time. And so I was a little nervous to go in and have an eye exam. Um, and they did some testing I'd never done before. Uh, one of those tests was called retinoscopy where they use a light to see how your eyes are directly focusing. And the doctor was pulling his hair out. He's like, your glasses prescription is double what it should be. He's like, how in the world are you a good student? And I took my glasses off and I tilted my head to the side and I held the picture like six inches away and told him I love to read. And he said, you love to read like that? Um, So I was just a super, super hard worker. And he said, your eyes are crossing and your focusing is terrible. And I was like, oh yeah, they've always told me my eyes cross, but not really anything to do about it. And so he did try to have me line two pictures up. So they were straight up and down. And I said it was completely impossible when they were on different walls um, to line those two things up. So he put me straight away into what's called vision therapy, which is eye training, of course. And I loved it. I had no idea how easy it was supposed to be to be able to see. And so I ended up training in the office to be a vision therapist. And I worked two days a week, even after I got into optometry school. So I knew going into optometry school, that was kind of the specialty I was the most interested in. I love that story. I think it's so special when you have the experience of going through vision therapy and realizing how life-changing it could be. And you're unique, right? Because you were still a good student. Usually that's not the case. Usually patients tend to avoid when things are become difficult, but I think it really gives you that drive and that empathy towards our patients. Now, for those that are listening, Dr. Simonson is very passionate about the preschool age child and the young child and even developmentally delayed children. So how did your experience of not getting vision therapy until later shape you into really loving that, that young, young, um, community. So I'm the mom of three boys 
And my middle kiddo also had an eye that crossed in and we saw that right away when he was teeny tiny. And of course, every time we went to the pediatrician's office, it was all the way in towards his nose and the, the frequency was high and the angle was high. So it was really obvious. So in his clinical record is asotropia or an eye turn in. And I said, sorry, buddy, you're related to me. Um, but that means we had this opportunity to really start treating it at a very young age. And we did lots of different eye alignment and eye hand coordination activities. Um, and I'm so glad I didn't get pressured into doing an early surgery. And we allowed his system to really develop in a guided way through vision therapy. So I get to talk to my patients, not only about what we can do clinically, but as a parent, like I went through that with my kid to really see how he was successful with early intervention. So the earlier you catch it, the least amount of catch up you have to do. Um, so I really like to do a lot of observations. I kind of knew what compensations I had developed to be functional. So a lot of just looking at how they figure out how to perform things like building with blocks and riding their tricycle. Uh, we love to catch things as early as possible. I love that you have such a personal connection to the realm of vision therapy, not only through yourself, but through your children also, because that can really help you relate to your patients and have those what can be difficult conversations with parents. Because as a parent, when you start to see something developmentally that's quote unquote abnormal, you know, you become very concerned. And in the realm of things like eye turns, you can get a lot of variety of opinions. There's a lot of different treatment approaches and it can be really overwhelming. Um, so I think that's really wonderful that you can guide your parents of your patients too through you know, how to help their children develop visually the best that they can. Now, when you are examining the younger population, talk us a little bit through like your tips and tricks and how do you glean the most information that you can from your young kiddos? Sure. So I actually really love seeing preschoolers because they're so smart and they're so cute and they're really fun and they crack me up. <laughs> so <laughs> they're just very literal. So if I tell them to look at something and, and I'm wrong, they'll let me know about it. <laughs> so um at this age, of course, they're really developing those skills they need for being ready for kindergarten. So identifying shapes and colors and pictures. Um, we usually use finger puppets or spinning lights for targets. So not just look at an E, we have so many other shapes that we like to use. So I use um, shapes that are called Leia symbols, which is a circle, an apple, a house, and a square. And we can even use matching, where if they don't have the names for those objects, we can find what looks the same. If we have someone more developmentally delayed, then we use what's called preferential looking, where there are two choices. And so, for example, one could have black and white stripes, and one could be gray. And so I call them my zebras. We need to find my little zebra stripes, which one has it on there. And they'll look at that, and I can then measure how small of detail they can see. So I can actually calculate where they are on that growth curve. Um, I also have the parents participate. So we might all have to wear fun 3D glasses, or I might let the parent look through a window first and then see what they see and then say, oh, don't you want to see what I can find through this window too? Um, so we use that a lot with prisms and lenses. And so we call them windows. So you don't look at them, but you look through them to see what you can find. 
And then I also sometimes do the whole exam on the floor. Um, so that's kind of sitting at their level and where they're comfortable. So I feel like with the right tools and tests, you can really evaluate the whole visual system. Um, and I like observations as a big part of that, of how they hold things and how they look at things. And so I have a checklist that makes it really easy to make observations during different tests of how they're functioning. I love that observation piece. I got my start into vision therapy with Dr. Melvin Kaplan in Terrytown, and he's a little bit of a unique doctor, but his approach really kind of shaped my early career because he didn't, he had a whole nonverbal exam, whether the child was verbal or nonverbal. Um, and it really taught me the art of observation. He would literally sit a kid in front of a television and was like, let's just watch them watch TV. And I was like, what is this, <laughs> you know, but it really taught you, do they have the head tilt? What are they doing with their hands? Are they moving their body? And it gives so much information about how they're processing their vision and their overall world. And it's really important for parents to note that as well. They're the best people. Cause I always say to parents, right. I'm seeing this child for such a small snapshot, right. An hour of their day. And I can't, at all know how they function all of the time. So I really like to ask them about all of their observations. What are they seeing? Uh, and I think that's a really important piece for, for parents to know is look at how your children are playing with puzzles. Do they have weird head tilts? Uh, do they go in really close? What are the things that you're seeing? Now you touch on this a little bit, but I want to delve a little bit further. What, what visual skills are you looking for in this age group, right? Because everyone thinks like, can they see clearly? That's usually where it stops. And that's the basis of this podcast, right? Vision is more than 2020. So can you just highlight what visual skills you're looking for in this preschool population to ensure that they're ready for their academic education? So absolutely. So I'm going to say though, I just read an article this morning from the American Optometric Association that said they really should call vision screenings amblyopia screenings because when you go to the pediatrician or to the school preschool, what they're looking for is some kind of commonly called lazy eye where one eye doesn't develop as good vision as the other eye. And so a lot of those tests are really just to look for that one condition. And so eyesight is absolutely important and it does develop but we're looking a lot more where the child actually functions, which is up close. Um, and so that near vision is so important. So I do like to see even just where they hold objects and do they hold it in front of one eye or at their midline. Um, we also like to look um, with specialized tests at color vision. So sometimes they might make a mistake in preschool and go to the wrong bin because they can't tell the color. So I like for the parent to be aware. Um, and so we have tests also for depth perception. For me, that's really critical as far as learning how to jump and hop and do stairs and all of that movement is we have to really know where we are in space and our vision and depth perception allow us to do that. Um, I also look for prescription. It's actually a high percentage of preschoolers that do have a high prescription. So they work hard to focus. And so we're looking for farsightedness, which is called hypermetropia. That's the most common thing I see. 
We also have some patients with high astigmatism where there's a defocus of their eyes because of the shape. And then we also have some little ones that are already developing myopia, which is nearsightedness. And so they'll get really close to the TV. And that's usually what parents notice is that they always hold things too close. And so we really want to make sure they have that opportunity to develop good eyesight. Um, and with a high prescription, there's a lot doctors of optometry can do to intervene to help that to develop better. So it's not always where I prescribe the highest prescription I measure, but what gives them the best function and puts them in the normal range for their age. Um, and then I do a specialized testing for visual processing called the wax analysis of cognitive structures. Um, the wax testing I learned from my mentor, who is Dr. Roger Dallas. I actually bought his practice in 2008 and he still comes in one day a week to see a patient, <laughs> which is fantastic. I love that. Um, yeah. <laughs> So he kind of really showed me um, this battery of testing that looks at four different areas. One is identification of objects. So we use actual real blocks that have different colors and shapes and the ideas of matching and what's the same and wording, what do we call this? Um, we also do object construction, like building towers or completing puzzles um, and making patterns with pegs so that eye, hand, fine motor coordination. The third section is graphic design. And sometimes we want to see if they can just scribble um, or know where different parts and pieces should be if you're drawing a person. So a lot of that um, is not really done as much. When my kids were little, we did lots of coloring books and drawing with paper. And now it's so digital that kids are great at tapping and touching and swiping, but they don't always have the ability to hold a pencil um, or know how to look and line things up. So I actually think that's um, an area that it's wonderful to help intervene and help develop. And then the last area is really general movement. It's really hard to climb stairs with your eyes closed. Your eyes tell your body where to go. And that's a lot of learning when you're young as you observe someone else doing something and then you figure out how to kind of match how they're doing it. So we actually get a lot of hopping and skipping and jumping and balance um, from our vision. I, I really love that you touched on really the integration of your visual skills and your motor skills. And it's really important to remember that your vision really does help drive a lot of your motor skills, both fine and gross motor skills. And if there are any delays in your visual system, it can then impact your motor development also, which is so crucial at this point in time with the kids that we're talking about, right? Um, so if you do see any visual delays in this population, what are your typical early interventions that you put into place? I know every kid is, you know, obviously very, very different and unique, but what's your general treatment approach if you see any visual delays? Sure. So um, with visual delays, as far as how the eyes are coordinating and the vision piece, um, a lot of times we are looking at lenses uh, to see if that improves performance. So sometimes I think you'll see like a little child in glasses and wonder how the doctor figured out the prescription. But again, that technique, that retinoscopy, we can really observe how their eyes are focusing and coordinating together. Um, and so that can be sometimes where we observe after a while. Now, if they're still having issues with how the eyes move, which is kind of like physical therapy. You have to have good neuromuscular control and range of motion and coordination. I'm going to recommend vision therapy for them. Now, sometimes we have to also say we need physical therapy or occupational therapy or cranial sacral therapy or primitive reflex integration and other pieces. So sometimes my testing helps me identify 
a good referral network to connect that parent with to help their child the best. Um, but a lot of times that is the vision piece. And so we recommend a course of vision therapy. Um, we do have other resources too, as far as different books and things that we recommend um, just to learn more about vision development, like active baby, healthy brain. Um, and so it's kind of nice to have that early um, education about how things are supposed to be developing and what milestones visually we're supposed to hit. Um, the other thing we always want to make sure, though, too, is that the eyes are healthy. So this group, a lot of time is in daycare. And so we get a lot of eye infections in that kind of setting. So we also want to make sure if that parent is educated, maybe don't go to urgent care for this, but come to your optometrist because they're going to be able to identify what type of infection. They're going to know better what medications to prescribe for that kid to help their eyes be healthy. Um, and then also to to look for any kind of congenital conditions that can affect their performance. So I sometimes see cataracts that were congenital or different other malformations. And so it's really um, important to catch those things early. Um, so again, lenses, if they have a high prescription or sometimes even if they have amblyopia or an eye that's out of focus compared to the other. Um, and then a big thing we're looking for is a misaligned eye. And so there are some times where I want to have also a surgical consultation um, for if a nerve didn't develop correctly or a muscle is parotic. So it's sometimes a coordinated care uh, to look at both pieces. So um, it is where we want to co-manage some of those cases with our colleagues. I think it's important to highlight uh, that you that the optometrist is part of a bigger part of the child's life and healthcare team. You touched upon OT, PT, uh, craniosacral therapists, chiropractors, and even a strabismus surgeon. I think that there is sometimes this misconception, uh, especially when we talk about vision therapy and eye turns, that surgery is it's either surgery or vision therapy. And Dr. L and I's approach is really more collaborative, right? Because strabismus surgery has been around for a really long time. And so is vision therapy. There's validity in both areas. And I think the best case scenario is seeing what works best for these patients and working together with the surgeons in those cases that it's necessary. Uh, but I think it's so important to really for the listeners to take home that we're a part of the child's overall development. By getting in with your eye doctors early, you we can spot these early developmental delays and even just help to guide the parents through how to develop their child's vision normally. And especially because they're not getting all of the visual and motor um, experiences because of how electronic everything is now, right? Having that conversation with parents and just saying like, hey, instead of doing the puzzle on the phone, let's do the puzzle in real space and see how the child does with that. And just having the conversation, um, I think really sparks something special within the parents because it brings attention to it. And I love that you brought up the book, Active Baby Healthy Mind, because that is my favorite baby shower gift to give. <laughs> <laughs> I give it to every new mom. I, and I'll link that. We've talked about this book in the past, but I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but I do, I give it, everyone thinks I'm a little nutty. I give that and like um, a, a healthy sleep, um, you know, developing sleep habits for your child book. Uh, Cause it's really helpful. The last question I have that I want to ask you is what 
do you recommend for the parents listening in terms of when to get your kid in for these eye exams and following their early, their early life? What do you recommend to get in with an eye doctor uh, and those exam recommendations? Absolutely. So I do follow the American Optometric Association guidelines, which is actually the first exam at six months. So I love to see infants and make sure that we have um, well developing healthy eyes at that point. And with the infancy program, it's just very easy to recommend um, that first initial evaluation as a baby. Um, And then the second exam is usually recommended age three, unless you're seeing signs or symptoms. And then I would get them in as soon as you notice an eye that misaligns or some different head posture tilts or anything that you're concerned about. You don't have to wait till age three, but by age three, every child should really have a vision evaluation. Um, And then if there's anything that we see at that, that we need to monitor closely, we might recommend a shorter duration. If everything looks perfect, then I like to see them before they enter school. So that's usually age five. And that's really to make sure they have those visual skills to recognize the differences between letters and numbers and discrimination of details and, and just really be able to see the teacher and their paper clearly and efficiently and be able to switch back and forth. So there's so many skills really to be school ready that I like to see them that summer before they enter kindergarten. Wonderful. And then for everyone listening who would like to connect with you or has more questions for you, where can they find you? Share your website, your social media, and where they can find your wonderful children's books as well. Sure. So the website for my office is, um, my office is Boulder Valley Vision Therapy. Um, It's www.boulderbt.com. So I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Um, We also have a Facebook page and on Instagram, we're called Boulder Valley Vision. And so I do think there's a lot of resources for parents there and even things like classroom accommodation recommendations and just a lot of information about vision development. Um, And then if I could, I'm going to share a little excerpt. I have some little um, children's books that I wrote. I wrote them on actually on an airplane because I realized there were a bunch of things for the parents but not really for the kid that was going in for an eye exam and might be a little bit nervous. And so I decided I want to try to make it as simple as possible to understand what it would be like to go to a vision therapy eye doctor. So this is from the book, My Perfect Vision. And it says, I saw an eye doctor who spent time with me. She said, welcome to the eye gym where we do vision therapy. I understand how your eyes work. And this part is key. We teach both your eyes and your brain how to see. So we try to make it be kind of simple, um, predictable texts and um, lots of little paper doll pictures that I cut out uh, to try to illustrate a little bit of what to expect during testing and vision therapy. And what's been fun is that I have had some, you know, grandparents from another state that saw this book in a waiting room and realized, oh, it's not the kid I'm with right now. It's with my other grandkid that I need to get sent in. And so um, if we're helping catch things early, I think that's really exciting um, to have these little books do that job. I think that is so, so wonderful to have that because Dr. L and I, if you don't know this, we both have little kids. I have a three-year-old and a almost two-year-old and Dr. L has an almost two-year-old and I have one on the way. So we are in the throes of reading books 
a lot. Uh, <laughs> we are all about reading the books and it really does set them up for success, right? Like I when I potty trained my daughter, Daniel Tiger has this great book all about potty training and it really set the stage for what was going to happen and what to expect and if something went wrong. And I kids do better and thrive when they have set expectations and an understanding. And I always say, don't don't treat them like a kid, treat them like you would want to be treated. And these books really do that. It gives the, the child that, that say that feeling of safety of what to expect in an eye exam. Cause it's kind of scary, right? Someone's touching your eyes. Someone's making you look at things, asking you questions. <laughs> it's a lot. So I will make sure to link all that in the show notes, but Dr. Simonson, thank you so much for coming on today. Our listeners, I'm sure learned so much from you and we hope to be joined by you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join our private Facebook group, Vision is More Than 2020, and follow us on Instagram. For additional content, check out our practice, Twin Forks Optometry, on both Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in next week to learn more about your vision.